All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Adam. I haven't been here preaching for a month. I've been here, but I haven't been preaching, and I've kind of gotten used to it. So uh, maybe you have too, so sorry I'm back, but whatever. Tonight we're starting a new sermon series, just a brief one, three weeks, called Come and See. But before we talk about that, I want to ask if you've seen a commercial. It's a commercial that features this young man here. Okay, what happens in this commercial is an illustration of a new phenomenon in our culture today when it comes to the golden age of television. So imagine this guy sitting here in the plaid shirt, walking through his whole day. He starts at a confessional booth with a priest. Now, I'm not going to do a show of hands as to how many of you show up and start your morning in a confessional booth with a priest. But let's say that this guy does, and he does. So he goes from the confessional booth to the coffee shop. Then from the coffee shop, you find him here in this elevator on his way to the office. Then you see him at the DMV, and he's smiling real big for his picture for the license plate. Then finally, he ends his day at a fancy restaurant. But here's the catch and how it illustrates this new cultural phenomenon in this, the golden age of TV. At every single turn, complete strangers from the priest to the waiter to the DMV attendant to his co-workers fill in the blank. Every step of the way, somebody looks him dead in the eye and says, you have to see this show. You have to see Breaking Bad. Have you seen Vikings? Have you seen Kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay? Have you seen The Voice? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? Dude, you got to check it out. And they're dead serious, and they're thrusting upon him their favorite show, and I need now a show of hands. Has this happened to you this week? Has someone in the course of your conversation over a meal or whatever, or maybe you got a text like I texted my brother-in-law and say, dude, you've got to see All or Nothing on Amazon Prime, the Cowboys. They cuss so much. It's incredible. Those of you who didn't raise your hand are the lucky ones because I feel like I contribute to this phenomenon because I'm always telling somebody to watch this or watch that. Here's why. We want to share what we're passionate about so that others can experience it too. I'm looking at this row with Jason and Nathan right here. Every time I talk to them, we're talking about, have you seen this? And they're like, yeah, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Because we want to talk about it. We want to share it. We want to be passionate about it. That's the movie watching row right there. I don't know about you, Brooke. But the deal is we want to share what we're passionate about so that others can experience it too. So in this series for three weeks, Come and See, we'll see followers of Jesus inviting both seekers and skeptics into a transformational encounter with Jesus. So more than a show on Netflix or Hulu or TV, we are going to meet people who have had some encounter with Jesus that changes them, that transforms them, that makes them passionate about it. So they go and find other people and they say, you've got to experience and meet this Jesus too. And tonight in John chapter one, we're going to see the repetition of this phrase, come and see. Because at the end of the day, we can't make anyone sit down and watch or experience 
what we ask them to watch. Our job is simply to invite them into an encounter with Jesus. So we're going to read this passage at the very beginning of John. That is, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And the very beginning of this movement where he gets followers to learn the way of Jesus and to live the way of Jesus. And what we're going to see is one disciple after another encountering Jesus. They have a transformational experience that then leads him to tell others so that they too will come and see this Messiah or King and follow him. What we're going to see is this chain of disciples making other disciples. So here's what I want you to do. I hope you have a handout. I hope you have a pen. I would love for you to, as I'm reading this, to underline a word or phrase that interests you, that grabs your attention. Because what John, who wrote this book 2,000 years ago, wants us to see is that there's more going on with his language. It's more than an Amazon commercial talking about TV shows. He wants you to see this rhythm of how we as disciples go and invite others to become disciples. So I want you to underline or highlight a word or phrase that grabs you, that interests you. And if you're the counting type, I would love for you guys to circle all the times you see some variation of the word see. Because John, who wrote this gospel 2,000 years ago, also throughout his gospel and throughout chapter 1, makes a connection between seeing and what? Believing. There's this sense that if you would just see Jesus for who he is, it will change you and you will walk away believing that he just might be who he says he is. You with me? So underline something that grabs you. Circle some C's and saws. And then I think if we have time, I'd love to throw it open before I close my talk to hear back some of the things that interested you. Maybe some questions that I left unanswered because I just can't cover every detail of every little thing. Or maybe something that you sense God might be calling us to. Okay? So I'm legitimately asking one or two or three of you to feed back some of this at the end of my talk before I close. Can we try that? I'd love to try that the next three weeks. We'll see how it goes. Let's read together. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. You follow along, I'll read. And you guys are writing and listening. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing again with two of his disciples. So when he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. So the two disciples heard what John the Baptist said, and they went and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, what are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Jesus replied, come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying And they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of those two disciples who heard that John, what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. So he first 
found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek, it means anointed king. Look at verse 42. He led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, which is 100 miles north, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Then Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the Law and the Prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. And Nathanael responded, can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said about him, Now here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? And then Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? Well, guess what? You will see greater things than these. I assure you that you will see heaven open and God's angels going up and down on the human one. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. We see one disciple after another encountering Jesus. They have this transformational experience that leads him to then tell others so that they too will come and see the Messiah and follow him. I'm a visual person, so here's how I think through this issue. We started with who. Who is the very first person we see in this passage? John. John the who? That's John the Baptist. Good work, Lindsay. You're a Bible scholar. John has two disciples of his own, right? We know the name of one of them, and that's Andrew. Andrew's going to be a player here in a minute. And then we have this other disciple, that we don't know his name. Some people guess that that would be John who wrote this gospel. But these are the first two disciples of Jesus that were first a disciple of John the Baptist. So earlier when I talked about in this series how we're going to see what does it mean to invite people into an encounter with Jesus, we're looking at seekers and skeptics. That's who we just met in this passage. So when we're talking about Andrew and this unnamed disciple, these were people who were seeking already something bigger than themselves. They were following John the Baptist because John the Baptist showed up in the wilderness and said, y'all better get ready because God's kingdom is coming. And somewhere along the way, Andrew and this unnamed disciple saw John and they said, I want to be on that. So they were seeking something bigger. And then finally, when John goes, actually, boom, here's the Lamb of God. He's the one who's bringing the kingdom. They who were seeking saw Jesus, and so they follow him. So what John did was as one of the first evangelists of Jesus, he goes and he tells them, yo, come and see the king and the kingdom 
get on board. They were seeking something bigger than themselves, and they seemed to have found it in Jesus. Later, we're going to meet a skeptic. Do you all know who the skeptic we're going to call? The skeptic, do you know who that was in our text? It was Nathaniel. He was the guy that said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? He was the one that was skeptical about Jesus and Jesus' way. But here's the thing about Nathaniel. The dude still took a step toward Jesus. The disciples that we meet are still people, whether they're seeking something bigger than themselves or they're skeptical of those things, they're still leaning in. They're still looking and kicking the tires. Now, with these two and their encounter with Jesus, we're going to talk about that more in a moment. With Nathaniel the skeptic and his encounter with Jesus, we're going to talk about that more in a moment. But I want to set the scene that these are people who are leaning in and looking around. They're already having their eyes open. What they needed was someone to come alongside them and say, yeah, but have you seen Jesus. John was the first one. Andrew spent an afternoon with Jesus, and he was so transformed by that encounter that what did he go and do? The first thing he did was say, dude, you got to check out, you got to check out this show, bro. And he went to his actual bro, and he went to Simon, and he says, we found the king. You've been waiting. We've been seeking. We have found him. So what Andrew did was he goes and finds his homeboy brother, Simon. And Simon, this is incredible, has a transformational encounter with Jesus in which Jesus says, hey man, you are Simon, but now you are Peter. And this is a big deal in scripture and especially in the old day. It's like when we get married, a lot of women take the surname and they changed their name to reflect their new identity in this covenant relationship of marriage. Well, in this day, it was a big deal, and it was about your identity to get your name changed. So he was so transformed, Jesus honored it and said, you may have been known in these parts as Fisherman Simon. Guess what? Now you're Peter. And the world today, 2,000 years later, knows about Peter. And so he had this transformational encounter. Andrew goes and finds his brother. It was an existing relationship from a seeker. You've been looking. Have you seen Jesus? Simon, now Peter, finds him. They go up to a town called Galilee. Y'all heard about Galilee? Galilee was the region that these guys were from. And they find the next guy, Philip. And I love this because Jesus goes and finds Philip. And I just have to wonder... Because Simon and Andrew were brothers, and they were from the same town as Philip, I wonder if in that long walk up to Galilee, to the edge of the sea, they said, you know what? I'm just imagining this. We knew a fisherman named Philip. We knew a guy named Philip. And I bet he would love to see what we've seen in you, Jesus. So then what does Jesus do? He goes and finds Philip. Do you know that Jesus is seeking people before we ever get up and make a march to Galilee or Rowlett or Garland or Dallas? Do you know that Jesus has this relentless, loving, 
never-ending way of seeking to rescue and reconcile the people we don't even know yet. He is already at work. He is already on the move. The Holy Spirit is bending this broken world to a new world in which God is king and everyone will see it and no one will deny it and no one will be hungry and no one will be in fear of violence and he is already at work today, now. So the reason we are gathered here as kingdom people is because we want to live into that reality not just then, but today. And the reason we're trying to follow Jesus is to keep our eyes and ears awake to the places in your spaces of work, in your Galilees, with your relationships, to say, there is a Philip in my life, and Jesus, I think you are already looking for him. And we partner together to say, are you going to come and see? So Jesus finds Philip, and Philip gets on board with Jesus. And then what does Philip do? He says, I know this guy, Nathaniel, but he is like super doubting. He is super prejudiced. He would never want to hear what I got to say. Let's go talk to John. No, what does Philip do? He goes to Nathaniel. He goes and finds Nathaniel. Nathaniel is the dude that would never watch your favorite show. He'd sit down and watch Cupcake Wars. I don't care anything about NBA playoffs. I'm going to watch fill in the blank. Nathaniel was a doubter. He was a skeptic. And Philip still went to him. Because as we're going to talk about at the end of our time, there are no lost causes in the kingdom of God. Our job is not first to convince. It's to love And open the door just enough for the kingdom of God to break in. And I just want to extrapolate again with my imagination. What if Philip had not taken a chance to go talk to his friend Nathaniel? Where would Nathaniel be? Where would we be without this incredible encounter that we see at the end of our text? But instead he goes to Nathaniel and we're going to talk about that more in a minute. So because I'm a visual person, this is what I see. One disciple having a transformational encounter with other disciples that they already knew. There's this rhythm of discipleship that we see in these coded words that maybe some of you had underlined or highlighted. Did anyone underline or highlight the word follow that stood out to you as interesting? How about come and see? which is brownie points because that's the title of this talk, so you should have underlined that for a gold star. How about this word, remain? These are three words that are hidden in this text, and it speaks to this rhythm of discipleship that John wants us to see. He's not wasting words and just telling you about this multi-level marketing scheme where more and more people came on board to make a little extra cash. I'm just making sure you're paying attention. He wants you to see the template for what we're going to see in the rest of John's gospel. And that is that, look, for number one, these are people who took a first step. Do you all know that they followed Jesus before they were really sure about who he was? How many of you, was this your experience? You came to church. You might be here tonight because you're still uncertain about this whole Jesus thing, but you were just so worn out because your buddy was inviting you so much that you finally came. I know that that's some of our stories here. I know 
people that are still getting worn out by the invitations, and they may one day take a step. But a lot of times, people take a step before they're certain. That's the first rhythm. They follow Jesus before they're even certain of what's going on. We see that in the first question that Jesus asked. What are you looking for? He wants to see why are they coming here. But then when they ask him, hey, where are you going to stay? Jesus says, come and see. That's the second step. This rhythm of discipleship is that they encounter Jesus and they're transformed. They took a first step and then they see, oh yeah, he is who he says he is. For those of you in this room that are following Jesus, you had a moment when you said, yes, this clicks. Jesus, you're my Lord. Which leads to the last bit, that word remain. Do you know that each one of these people, Andrew and this unnamed disciple, the text wants us to know that they didn't go back to John. They hitched their wagon to Jesus. When these two disciples ask the question, where are you staying? The word there is, where are you remaining? They were trying to be, you know, kind of playing it cool, being like, you know what? Let me ask you a question. Where are you staying? At the Holiday Inn or the La Quinta? Or, you know, I just, maybe we can come and kick it for a minute. I'm, I don't know. What Jesus really knew was that they were asking, hey, we want to come and spend time with you. And eventually they're going to spend their lives with him. Peter, for all his faults and failures, remains with Jesus to the bitter end. And we can assume the same thing for Philip and Nathan. But this is the rhythm of discipleship. You've got to take a first step. You've got to experience it yourself. And then you've got to stay there as best you can. Warts, bruises, hurts, hang-ups, remain. Because let me tell you something. Later in John's gospel, Jesus says, remain in me and I'm going to remain in you. Jesus puts up with more of you than you can even put up with yourself. He has one disposition to you, and that is never-ending, unceasing love. And he's smiling when he sees you. And so I imagine when he turned around to these two, he said, what are you looking for? I bet you he did it with a smile on his face, and they had no idea what's coming. Later on when he encounters Nathan, he's going to say, you think that was awesome? You're going to see greater things than this. And I guarantee you, I imagine he said it with some smile and some look of knowing that you ain't seen nothing yet. Because it's not just that he wants to remain with you. He wants to transform you. He wants to show you greater things than you could A, give him credit for, and B, give yourself credit for, because you are loved more than you could ever ask or imagine. The world goes out and labels you and tells you one thing and tells you you are a sinner. The father says you're a child. And Jesus comes alongside you and says, you are my friend and I'm remaining with you. Would you stick it out with me? This is the rhythm of discipleship. And this is what our world needs, our neighbors need, our Nathaniels need, our Simons need. And so as we wind down Throughout this text, I want you to see these four observations of what it looks like to invite others into this kind of rhythm and into this kind of transformational encounter. I want you to just write down these four words. Know, K-N-O-W, know, ask, invite, and create. 
This is where we're going to be spending the rest of our time. And looking throughout this text, these words, knowing, asking, inviting, and creating. What does it look like? We can be so paralyzed in a message like this that says, okay, he's just trying to get more church members. No, I'm trying to invite more people into life. And if they happen to come to this church, great. But here's what I believe. You are the salt and light of the world that if you are passionate about Jesus, would you get out from these walls and would you talk about Jesus? And here are some ways we see in this text... And I'm going to give you some practical examples as we wind down the last half of this as to how we might do that better and with more intention. You with me? The first thing is know where they are, what they seek, and how they doubt, and fill in the blank. Do we know our culture that we live in? Do we know the city of Garland or the cities in which you live in? If Jesus asked the city What are you looking for? What do you think the city would say? Because here's the deal. We can make a lot of assumptions, but do we really know? Do you know what your family members, your friends, your coworkers, do you even know what you need? I think the first thing we need to pay attention to is how many existing relationships and hometowns did Jesus use for the kingdom of God? And the reason I paused so much there is because I don't even like that word used. Jesus didn't use this. Everything about what I just drew on this whiteboard is organic and born out of a passion for others they know to experience the same kind of life transformation and peace, even in the difficulty that they experienced. These were existing relationships and spaces that they knew. They first go to the people they knew. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to see someone go to the exact opposite kind of person they would have ever known. And still invite. But tonight we're talking about knowing these kinds of people. The second bit we have up there is ask. Ask heart questions. I love this because Jesus loved to ask questions. I want you to guess before we put it on the slide. No, I'm not going to guess because y'all might say way too large of a number. Let me just tell you first. (laughs) How many questions we have recorded that Jesus asked in the four Gospels. That number is 307. When you think about the four books, and some of your Bibles have red letters, that which Jesus said, we imagine in our culture imagines that Jesus was this great teacher that was just spitting out slogan after slogan after slogan after slogan. What Jesus did more than anything was ask questions. Now, because he was a teacher, then and now, Like your professor today, your teacher today, you don't understand something. What was very popular then was to ask the rabbis, which we heard in our text means teacher, to ask him the big questions. 183 questions were asked of Jesus. This was common. How do you read this book? How do you read this text? How do I live this? How do I do that? So common. Now, here's where you can guess. 183 questions were asked of Jesus. Hey, Jesus, which shirt should I wear tonight? Hey, Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Hey, Jesus, is it lawful to heal somebody on the Holy Sabbath? Hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, 183 times. 
How many questions do you think Jesus answered? Take a guess. What do you say? Oh, Ben is cheating because he's doing slides. Y'all can talk to me. 50? Okay. Going once, going twice. How many do you think? How much? You know the answer too. 73. How about this? Eight. But Jesus, you are the teacher. Is this shocking to you? This is shocking to me. It kind of makes me want to go back and find those eight and see, like, these might be important. Why do you think he was answering these eight versus the other 170 whatever? Help me, Toby, math teacher. Listen at this, guys. Jesus didn't give easy answers to the kinds of questions they used to nail him down for a spot on the evening news. Jesus was not about hashtags. Jesus was not about easy answers to hard questions. So why do we as Christians, number one, expect easy answers or demand easy answers? Or why do we as Christians give easy answers to the devastating and crippling questions our world is asking? Our city in Garland is asking about how we can break the chains of addiction and poverty and domestic violence. And Christians want to say, just come to church and pray about it, and we'll see you for an hour out of the week. But Jesus asks more questions than he answers, but he was always present And I think the reason why Jesus asks questions is, number one, for Jesus to discern their heart. And the second reason I think Jesus might ask questions is for people to discover something for themselves. Ask any teacher, what is the best way for your kid to learn something? What's two plus two? It's four. Done. Or to say, take two, add two together, count how many you get, you make four. They discover it for themselves. What do you think it is? What do you think this? How do you do this? Let them discover for themselves. I love that Jesus asks these questions. He's getting at the heart. When I say for Jesus to discern their heart, he's listening in such a way that is getting at what's underneath. So look back at the text in John 1.38. He asks that wonderful question, what are you looking for? He asks these two guys, what are you looking for? If Jesus asked our city, what are you looking for? What do you think they'd say? If Jesus asked you, what are you looking for? What do you think they say? What he's doing is discovering what their expectations, their intentions are. He's trying to suss out what the real need is. Then they say what we talked about early. Where are you staying? They, ask, they do a Jesus move and ask a question to his question. They were already on the road to being a disciple of Jesus. I'm a pastor And I talk a lot about Jesus to people. But I read recently in a book I'm reading with other pastors by Eugene Peterson. He said, instead of asking yourself, how many people did I talk about Jesus to this week? Ask yourself, how many people did I listen to in Jesus this week? Because we have this new cultural norm where our conversation looks more like tweeting and Facebook status and this and that and the other and sharing, this is me, this is me, this is me, and rarely asking. And even rarer still, listening. How would it change your encounter with someone this week to ask a question and zip it and listen? 
How would it change your marriage this week to listen more than you speak? How would it change your friend relationship when they ask you for help to give advice last and ask question and listen first? How would it change? How shocking would it be to ask a real heart question? I think of Ramon, our pastor friend in Russia, when the first several times he came to the States, I believe I've shared this story before, he'd meet a new person and the American would say, hey, how are you doing? And he would kind of pause for a minute and he'd say, well, well, actually, I've been very tired lately and I've kind of been discerning, you know, what's the next step in my life. And, you know, my, my daughter's kind of going through this. And, my son, and then the American is just standing there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, I was just saying hi. Because we're not asking heart questions. We're just saying, hey, what's up? But how would it change your week to ask someone that you know and then to move into asking, hey, how are you really doing? Not because you want to get some dirt, but you want to listen and perhaps discern and discover, like Jesus, where the need is so that then you might, number three, invite them to take a next step in their discipleship or their understanding, which is what we see in the rest of this text. How many of you underlined some of the words that were called of Jesus? Jesus is called the Lamb of God, Mark did. The Lamb of God, he's called a teacher, he's called the Christ, he's called the Messiah, he's called the one that Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about, he's called the Son of God, he's called the King, all in the span of this interaction. And you see the move, if you draw a line down the page, of the people who called him teacher, who after spending time with him, say, no, 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 he's more than this, he is King, and he's worth my whole life. And our culture needs to make this move too. Because we talk to homeless people through our ministries all the time that have heard the message of Jesus till they're blue in the face. They've heard it all. And they say, you know what? None of this really matters until I actually believe it in my bones. They can teach us and instruct us of what it means to go beyond, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, and I hear Adam scream about it once every few months, and Pastor Kathy speak eloquently about it once every few months, but yeah, 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 whatever. Let me tell you this, you have got to make a move at some point in your life to say he's more than a teacher, he's more than somebody I see once a Saturday evening, he is worth giving my life to because he's a teacher, he's a king, he's the son of God, there is life in his name and nobody else and I found it in him and I promise you I've been looking everywhere else students let me talk to you students to enter into the kingdom is your step not your parents to enter into a kingdom relationship with Jesus is to take that step yourself no one will have a relationship with Jesus for you And Jesus wants to walk with you so that you can make a difference right now before you graduate. Don't wait. Don't wait and stop coming because you're not forced to. Come and see and try him out. Ease into his rhythm and see if there's life there. Don't take my word for it. Because we can tell you a laundry list of things not to do. But you know what never changed a human heart? Rules that you resent. Are you with me still, students? But let me tell you what changes a human heart. A relationship with the living God. 
And it took me way too long to figure this out. Because when I wanted to come to Jesus, I thought he was looking down on me and wagging his finger because I had kept blowing it. I had kept going back in high school to porn, to girls, to smoking, to drinking, to drugging, and I just found everything else. And when I finally came back to Jesus, because I was just like you, and I went to youth group, and I even played in the band, but I knew so much about him, but it wasn't until I got to know him, it wasn't until I took a step out and said, you know what, I can actually live this life with him. And the more I began to live this life, the more I began to come and see for myself and create space to actually see him for who he is. I made the move that says, you know what, actually, you don't just love me, you like me. I want you to know, students, that Jesus likes you. And he's not keeping score of the times you don't get it right. Your parents are. I'm joking. Making sure you're listening. You too, parents. There is life in Jesus, and it starts now. You don't got to wait till you're 25. By then, it may be too late. We're inviting people into a next step. When we went to the Ecclesia gathering and we brought six uh, leaders with us, Bruxy Cavey was talking about how he believes the person and work and words of Jesus meet every need of the human experience. So sometimes we're so paralyzed by inviting And he asked us the question, if you aren't talking about Jesus with people close to you, why? He says, they know you love to bowl. They know you love the Marvel Avengers movies. They know you've got a dog that you feed this or that or the other. But do they know you follow Jesus? And I I don't want you to hear this question and say, well, man, I really blew it. I want you to hear this question and start to ask yourself, why is that? What is this subconscious thing that I still feel like a lame-o or I'm imposing? So what Bruxy did in his church in Toronto, this enormous church called the Meeting House that has an Anabaptist flavor like we do, he gave some on-ramps to people because he says, look, Jesus, his person, work, and words meets every need of the human experience. And so he says, Why don't you just, as naturally as you talk about the TV shows you love, start to get some on-ramps into these conversations in order that you might show them where the need meter might be. He says these kinds of things. Hey, you know what? That reminds me of a story that Jesus told. Y'all know that everybody would probably say, yeah, he died for my sins and rose again, yada, yada, yada. Very few people know actually what Jesus said. Well, that reminds me of a teaching of Jesus. You know, when the world says this or that about this or that, you know what Jesus actually said? That reminds me of something Jesus did. Man, I can tell you the best plays that Dennis Smith Jr. of the Dallas Mavericks made this year. I'll tell you all about it. But could I tell you enough about the kinds of healings and miracles that Jesus performed for the least of these? I think people would be shocked to hear that. Or you could say that something in the Bible says about Jesus or, hey, something I heard at church or, hey, even something I read in a book. But don't do it in this smarmy sales pitch way. Do it when it's the most natural opportunity. You would be talking about something uh, of that nature anyway. 
step out and see what kind of door is opened for the kingdom of God to break in because we want to connect their need to the only one who can meet them. I never told you how that commercial ended, but after he heard all of these shows that he needed to watch, at the end of the day, after his fancy restaurant dinner, he plops down on the couch, he grabs the Alexa remote or whatever, and he says, play Cake Wars. He didn't watch one thing they showed him. So I want to tell you this. It is not your responsibility and job to drag anyone into the kingdom of God, kicking and screaming. We know this in our 12 steps, in our recovery. One of my dearest friends for a long, long, long time, we were actually doing music at a 12-step recovery meeting. And every week I'd say, hey, bro, let's stay for a group. Let's stay for a group. Let's stay for a group. And he would leave year after year after year after year. And I realized if, even if I drug him there, would he be into it? No, all we need to do, all we are responsible for, is not beating our friends down like I did. We are just responsible for knowing who they are, asking the kinds of heart questions, and when it's right, inviting them to take a next step in their life or understanding. And then third, fourth, excuse me, is just creating that space for a transformational encounter with Jesus to happen. And when our worship team was praying, we said, you know what? One of the places are our Saturday worship gathering, our Wednesday evening neighborhood group, our Saturdays, third Saturdays, with the some 400 people we've met through the rock, men, women, and children, giving them clothes and meeting tangible needs in Jesus' name. These are spaces in which we can speak and act with the kingdom right there at hand. This is the place that people can come. If you're still weird about talking to people at Jesus, let me be weird and talk about Jesus because I got a microphone and it's easier that way. But we need to create these kinds of spaces, these kinds of encounters. And what I loved about it is even the doubter and the prejudiced one, Nathan, Nathaniel, he still showed up. Why? Because I think he trusted Philip and knew that Philip had his best intention at heart. And there were still obstacles to be overcome, weren't there? Can anything from Nazareth be good? How many people in your circles, can anything from Garland be good? Well, shoot, I was raised in Garland and graduated from Garland High School. They're going to hate our church. But let Jesus break down those obstacles. You may never. But you know what Philip did? Come and see. And he let Jesus do the work. One of the mantras we say in our church is do what you can and let God do what you can't. Do what you can and let God do what you can't. What are you responsible for? What do you need to own? Everything else, let it go. And let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit because you won't. And ultimately, when that happens, we see people making that move where belief is meant to be lived. What happens is once they get to that space, Nathaniel said, my goodness. And he went from the skeptic that said nothing good can come from Nazareth to calling him son of God. You know, I called Nathaniel a skeptic, but that may not be fair because Jesus saw him under the fig tree. That's a Hebrew way of saying he was studying the scriptures. Nathaniel thought he knew it all. He was skeptical that Jesus was who he says he was, but he still showed up because they created that space for him. 
I'm going to ask the band to come up here in just a moment, but I want to hear from you before I close this. I know I've talked a little bit longer than maybe I thought I would, but I still want to hear back from you. What are some things that you're reflecting on? What are some invitations you feel like we as a church need to make? What are some questions that are left unanswered? And it's going to be awkward, but just get ready for it. I'm going to try this for the next three weeks. So can I hear from you? What's something that stood out from the passage? What's a way in which you want to ask a question or invite? What Mark said was when Jesus saw Nathanael under the fig tree, he must have seen into his heart, seen the kind of person he is. He must have seen something of Nathanael. And I want to close with this. If someone is lost, it must mean that this person is valuable to God and worth finding. And he sees them way before we do. And he values them. And all of these people that we know and will ask and will invite and will create space for are already people that the father sees as he's looking for the horizon for the prodigal to run home into his arms. And as they limp closer and closer to the father's house, he will do what we can't. He will embrace them, he will transform them, and he will show them and give them a new life. So know that these people that are on your heart and head are already seen and known before you ever go and invite them to come and see Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this space to gather together as your people, to talk about what it means to be your followers, inviting other followers into life with you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how powerful and compelling it is. But we also thank you for the word that became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So we ask that we would follow Jesus out there to invite others to come and see. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And go in peace.